Dr. Debbie here, and just a quick announcement before we get to today's episode. Has someone shattered your trust? Have you been blindsided by betrayal? It's a total shock to the body and mind. Some of us recover, and many others stay sick, bitter, angry, resentful, and stuck. If that's you, I have a research-based solution. My new book, Trust Again, Overcoming Betrayal and Regaining Health, Confidence and Happiness is now available. In the book, I literally walk you through the five stages of betrayal all the way to transformation with all kinds of examples, stories, and activities so you heal as you're moving through the book. I've also shared my very personal story along with those who participated in my PhD study so you can see how others move through their experiences too. Of course, I'm also teaching you my four-part trust rebuilding process so you can learn to feel safe again, love again, trust again. So here's what you do. Go to the PBT, as in post-betrayal transformation, thepbtinstitute.com forward slash trust again. That's thepbtinstitute.com forward slash trust again. Why? Because there's a link on that page that'll take you to Amazon, but I want you to know about it because once you get the book, come back to that page, enter your receipt, and then you get some amazing bonus gifts. Can't wait to share the book with you. And if you have friends or a group who'd benefit, get it for them too, because I'm giving tickets to a very special workshop for anyone who purchases more than five copies. ThePBTInstitute.com forward slash trust again. Okay, now on to today's episode. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber. Today's guest is Lola Scarborough. Lola is a 500-hour certified yoga teacher and a co-owner of Yoga Lola Studios. She's a certified life coach, an Ayurvedic consultant, an herbalist, a certified Ayurvedic practitioner, a level three Reiki master, and a novice astrologer. She's currently pursuing her PhD in comparative religion. Lola's witnessed what yoga energy body work and nutrition can do to maximize and restore health and allow people to live fully and richly in their lives. She does what she loves and loves what she does. So you often hear me talk about turning your biggest crisis into your greatest gift, and that's exactly what my next guest has done. Although it may feel like a stretch right now, can you imagine being grateful for your experience? My next guest, Lola Scarborough, is going to share how to do just that because it really is one of the most important parts of healing, and that's what we want. I mean, we don't want to experience something painful and feel we're stuck in that feeling. We want to heal, then use what we we've learned to grow and evolve. Get ready because that's what Lola will be talking about. Here she is. Okay, everybody. So today I'm with Lola Scarborough. You know, we always talk about betrayal of a family member, partner, friend, self-betrayal. Today's sort of like a smorgasbord of betrayal because we're going to be talking about a family betrayal and possibly a partnership betrayal, a few uh, relational betrayals, but also betrayal of the medical community. So welcome, Lola. We're so glad you're with us today. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. And let's just get started, get started here. It's, it's been more than one betrayal. So uh, let's take on the, the, um, the relational betrayals first. Can you share your okay. story? I'd love to. Um, I was born in 1959 to a 17-year-old mother. And by then, she already had alcohol uh, and other addiction problems. Um, 
So by the time I was 10, she had been married four times and I had gotten bounced around myself and my sister. Uh, eventually there were eight of us, but at that time there were two of us. And we got bounced around between family members who they didn't want us. And, you know, we always knew that. And then when she was with different husbands, we'd move back in briefly. Um, they were all alcoholic. They were all violent. They were all abusive. And not only to her, she was abusive to them. She was like four foot 11 and a fireball. She loved nothing better than to fight with her fist. And so there were constant fights. And um, she was violent towards us too. I mean, I remember once when I was nine years old, she'd just had another child and uh, they'd been out. They came in about three in the morning and we'd been babysitting and I had forgotten to wash out a diaper and she beat my head against the wall until my ears bled. Ugh. So, you know, it was just, that's the way it was. And when you grow up in that type of environment, um, you don't think of it as abnormal because it's the only thing that you know. You just learn to be hypervigilant. Mm -hmm. I once had a doctor tell me that I had the best reflexes he'd ever seen. And I was like, well, <laughs> I can thank my mom for that because it does make you hypervigilant. So but, at what point so, did you realize something was wrong? When I was about 13 or 14, um, I'd always been a really heavy, heavy reader. And so, you know, I knew something of the outside world just from reading because people wouldn't allow their children to associate with us because of the violence and the, the alcoholism in the household. So we were isolated to the family, which often happens in those sorts of families, um, unless you're living in an environment where everyone is the same. And we weren't. Uh, we moved when she married the last husband. Uh, we moved from Hollywood, Florida, way out into the woods. And the name of the place is New Hope, Florida, but it's really No Hope, Florida, <laughs> because it's a place of of deep poverty there. Um, but we were kind of ostracized by everyone. So there was bullying at school. Um, when my mother married the last husband, he had a daughter close to my age and she didn't like me. So she, uh, she had a couple of friends, people that she'd made friends with and they bullied me too. So I got really used to kind of being in the position of quote the bullied one and quote. where were your your siblings with this were they were you close with them did they support you and or were they just sort of they were all they were all time? younger than me okay and so one of the things that would happen is like when the fights would start in the household and the violence would escalate it was usually towards the evening because by then they were drunk and they were angry and so I mean, I can't tell you how many times I passed my brothers and sisters out the window <laughs> when they were turning over the table or they were discharging guns or they had knives. I mean, and wow. I just came back from Florida and my mother passed. She died at 51. So that was quite a long time ago. Um, the corduroy artery in her neck ruptured and she died instantly. But um, so I still see my brothers and sisters. So I just I went down there recently and um, met up with some of them again. And we always start laughing because it's like, you know, nobody would believe our story if we told them the sorts of things that we saw and experienced. 
Right. So, so take us back to you're passing your brothers and sisters out the window. You're trying to just keep them safe. How did you, how did you manage that situation? How did you stay, stay safe and, and when did you get out? And then let's talk about your healing. Yeah, I left when I was 15 um, and I moved in with my grandmother. I ran away a couple of times. Um, I was valuable because I had a welfare check attached to me. Mm-hmm. So I was valuable to the family. And I also worked in the tobacco fields and things like that and did babysitting. So I brought money in. Um, so they, they weren't going to let me out of the family structure. So I ran away twice and I begged them to keep me in custody not to send me back. And so I told my mother, I said, you know, you'll go to sleep again and I'll leave again. And so because she did love me and I loved her, um, she let me go live with my grandmother on the condition that nobody knew I was living with her, that she got the welfare check and that I went over there regularly to help with the children and the cleaning and all of the other things. And so that's kind of how it settled. So when I was 15, I moved in with my grandparents permanently. My grandmother had been a big figure in my life, my lifelong. And I truly believe she's the reason I was able to make it out. And, and did your grandmother know what was happening at the house or with, with your- Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody knew. <laughs> the social workers were afraid to come around. My mother, one came to the door one day and caught my mother in a bad mood. My mother pushed her off the steps and beat the hell out of her. After that, they just kind of kept their distance. Um, so that so there was so had, much violence. But you had your other siblings there, and what was happening with them when you well, were in the house? Um, with my stepsister, she, for whatever reason, my mother wanted her to love her, so my mother favored her. And then her dad, of course, never touched her. So she was really the only one. And when I say unscathed, I mean, in terms of the overall picture, who remained unscathed. I was the oldest, so I was responsible for everything that went wrong. Mm -hmm. And then my sister Barbara and my stepbrother Lee were very close in age. And so my mother would target Lee, my stepfather would target Barbara, um, who was later murdered as a, a long saga of a family drama that oh went gosh. on. But, um, so they would target those two. And then the other kids were young. So it wasn't until after I was gone pretty much and out of the house that they began to experience the shifted the violence because my mother and, and her husband, neither one of them were ever bad to the babies, right? Mm-hmm. It was just when you got older, you were moving, literally a moving target. So, so that's a lot to, to handle and certainly a lot to heal from. What, what did it leave you with? I mean, how did you, how did you look at other people? How did you view relationships? How did you feel physically? I mean, like what, what sort of, what did those experiences leave in its wake? Well, they left good traces and they left traumatic traces. Of course, you know, as I've, I've heard you talk about with other women in your podcast, um, you know, betrayal has its own kind of trauma mm-hmm. and whether that betrayal is, is, you know, being physically beaten or, you know, as you've mentioned in some of the other podcasts, something as seemingly innocuous as gossip. Um, but as far as the good things that it left me with and things that I'll be forever grateful for 
is a sense of self-reliance mm -hmm. and understanding that in this world, people who love you aren't always going to treat you well. Because I think we, we are engineered with this idea that people who love us or who are responsible for us will treat us well. And they don't always do that. So having your eyes open to it gives you a sort of balance in your life. Um, that life is unpredictable. I certainly learned that. And that to me has been a key factor in my healing and a key factor in my strength and my ability to show courage and resilience under stress is mm -hmm. I don't expect things to be predictable. So when my world rocks, I just try to rock with it. And lastly, and most importantly, an incredible sense of humor. You have got to have a sense of humor mm -hmm. about what happens to you because without it, all you can do is, is get mired down in sadness and grief and trauma. So I think, and my mother had an unbelievable sense of humor and so do all of my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are the good things that it left me with. Right. Right. And, and it takes a lot of work to get there, I'm sure. Now, but I'm, I'm also imagining your sense of safety and security. I mean, these are just basic, basic primal needs that was, you know, th that were shattered and, and not having that steady and solid foundation. How did you reconcile with that? How did you create that for yourself? I, I did create it for myself inside of my own self. And I tell people, you know, I don't have imaginary friends. I have friends that others can't see. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was one of those children that I felt very close to angels. I had lots and lots of what I guess would be called psychic experiences. I called on protection. So it took me into, I, what it did for me was it took me outside of the physical world and kind of inserted me into the mystical world, which was the only place that I could find protection. And so I've developed a very deep and powerful connection, um, you know, to Jesus, to angels. I'm not Christian, I'm spiritual, but, you know, I see and connect with, uh, connect with Jesus and angels and fairies and, you know, just a, an inner sense of, you know, there is something larger than the picture I'm seeing here. And that thing that is larger protects me. And so this is painful, it's frightening, and, you know, I'm not safe, you know, so I have to be aware of where I'm at. But I also have protection from another realm. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I did some psychotherapy, um, what, what the therapist told me was that I was a fantastical child, that that often happens in environments where children aren't safe. They kind of retreat to a world of fantasy. And I, and I told her, I said, I beg to differ. It wasn't fantasy. It was connection at the deepest level mm -hmm. because it was the only place to go for protection. Right. It was a place. So that's felt, how I did it. Yeah. A place you felt safe. So that amount of trauma and stress, it's impossible for it not to affect you physically as well, because by the, you know, something when there's the, the emotional and the mental and, and all of that stress, it wreaks havoc on the physical body. How did it show itself in your health? Um, well, I had a couple of what I would call nervous breakdowns, mm -hmm. and um, I've kind of discovered since then, you always have the breakdown before you have the breakthrough, mm -hmm. which seems like a hard way to do it, but that's how it's happened to me, and that's how it happens to most people I know. I was eaten alive with eczema, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just literally eaten alive. Um, then I had all kinds of uh, serious female problems that started happening to me when I was in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also, you know, in the in true character with my family, a heavy, heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. And so when I quit, I was 42 years old and I was at two and a half packs a day, whether I needed it or not. Wow. Um, so, you know, what brought me through was my deep belief in, um, in the mystical aspects of the universe, my deep belief in my own power to heal myself. My grandmother was a hands-on healer. She laid hands. Mm-hmm. And when I was about 12, she walked over, she grabbed my hand. She says, you've got the hot hand. And she trained me as an um, energy healer, which I do to this day. It's one of the largest parts of my practice. Mm-hmm. And so I had the belief that, you know, healing comes not only from inside of ourselves, but also, again, tapping into the mystical and spiritual aspects of our universe to bring it in to heal ourselves with. Um, and then once I found yoga, my healing really accelerated. So I found therapy, I found yoga, I found meditation. I came with the mystical aspects and the belief that we can and we do heal ourselves, um, that healing comes from the inside. And when it comes from the outside, it's more in the forms of, you know, a connection with the mystical and spiritual aspects of who we are. Mm. And I love that you're bringing up those different modalities because everybody has sort of their own recipe of what works for them. But it is that combination of, of the it could be therapy or at least support someone to to speak with, along with those those other modalities, whether it's yoga, meditation, uh, journaling, prayer, things like that. How did you feel? Tell, can you tell us and if you remember? how you knew that you were healing, like which, which thing were you doing and, and how did you feel before you started? And then what was the difference that that specific modality led to? Well, it was um, kind of multi-layered. Um, when I first started working with uh, my own inner trauma, I turned to astrology and it's a very deep science. So Mm -hmm. uh, that took me a while to work through. And then I went from that into other different esoteric things where I began to learn about who I was. Um, One of the biggest betrayals that I think we suffer as human beings is when people tell us lies about who we are and what we are. Mm -hmm. And you're so young when they start telling you things, you can't sort fact from fiction. So one of the things that I found with astrology and numerology, the Enneagram, these self-development tools, is it allowed me an unbiased view mm-hmm. of my strengths and my weaknesses. And it allowed me to see a, a closer model of the truth of who I was and what I came in here with and what I came here to be than some of the things that I had been told um, because, you know, they weren't very nice to any of us. Sure. So what were some, yeah. So I'm really curious, what were some beliefs that you came in with and then did the astrology and then those beliefs changed, or at least you questioned them enough to, to start to consider a new, a new belief pattern. The biggest thing that set me free was 
I, because again, I was the oldest, I was blamed for everything. You know, I was blamed for my birth. I was blamed for anything that happened in the family. And one of the things that astrology showed me was that I came in to be of assistance to people that I didn't break anyone that they were already broken. And I did a lot of deep work with family relationships as well. Um, through another thing called the destiny cards, but that I'm actually a helper. And one of the things that I came in to do, and the reason I was in the elder position was to try to help my family of origin. And, you know, people used to ask me, and this was before I found astrology, they'd say, why, why are you still connected to your family? Mm-hmm. And I would say, because I came here to help my mother redeem her karma. And I didn't even really know what that meant but there it was in my natal chart and it talked about who she was and the violence and all the things that went on inside the family so all of a sudden I'm blameless and my mother is blameless we're all in this big arena this big which doesn't mean you're not responsible for what you do I don't mean to make it sound like that but there's a larger picture that's out there and you're a player in that larger picture Mm -hmm. and um, knowing that and knowing that, okay, based on my natal chart, they can see who my mother was and they can see my family environment and they being the stars, right? Astrologically speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, So this, there's a sense of, okay, so I am here. I, this is my destiny. This is what I came in to fulfill. And without having what I had as a background, I couldn't possibly be the person I am today. Mm-hmm. So it took a lot of the emotional punch out of it for me, if that makes any sense. And it made it more understandable. Okay, these are formative parts of who I came here to be. And without, without my mother being who she was and without me being who I am, I couldn't possibly be me. And what's so helpful about what you're saying is it makes it made you realize that you just didn't have bad luck or you're just not a victim that there's actually it in a in a painful way you know although that's the sad the the sad part to it it makes sense because it's not just about looking at things from a purely human purely physical place. And it makes it, I guess, a little bit easier to digest when you say on some level, I came here to experience, you know, X, Y, Z, and and I chose this person and these people to help me experience this so that I can grow. Absolutely. And that's what it did for me. It opened my eyes to the fact that um, I was not a victim. I don't feel like a victim at all. Uh, I feel like, you know, I was blessed with experiences that were very painful and had a a, a huge impact on my psyche um, and in the formation of who I was, because that's what I came here to do. Mm. And without it, I couldn't possibly do the things that I do now. I would not be as rich. I would not have the depth of character that I have. I wouldn't have you know, the, my big humanitarian instincts are shaped by the deprivation mm-hmm. that we went through. I mean, there were lots of hungry days because they, they drank 
the welfare money. That's back when they got food stamps and they'd trade them at the liquor store for cigarettes and booze. There were lots of hungry days. But what it did was it didn't harden my heart and it didn't take me away from humanity and it didn't make me angry. Although, you know, there were times when for me, it was mostly grief Mm -hmm. that I dealt with. It wasn't really anger. It was grief. Um, And this was grief grief for what? What were you grief for the suffering Mm -hmm. that I witnessed in my family? My mother suffered. I mean, Mm -hmm. if she could have done it differently, she would have. I truly believe that for most people, if they could do it differently, they would. Whatever, whatever is holding them back Mm -hmm. is very real um, because she suffered. And, you know, I want to make sure all the listeners really understand such an important point that you, that you made here. When it's when you, and it is a decision, when you make the decision that you don't want to be the victim, that there's a, a meaning, there's, there's a reason for this, that is the turning point to healing. That's where, that's the beginning of how that biggest crisis leads to the greatest gift because we have every right, let's say, to be that victim. I mean, if horrible things are done to us, let's just say it's easy to say, well, this happened to me and I have every right to be angry, miserable, upset. But it's also such an amazing opportunity to say, what can I do with this? And what can I do to heal myself and then take those lessons to heal others? And it's in choosing not to stay as that victim, that's where that's where we take that pain that could harden our heart and we could put up the huge wall of no one else is going to come near me uh, emotionally so they can get to me again. That's where we truly begin to heal. And it sounds like that was the case with you. Oh, it absolutely was. And it gives you a sense of compassion of knowing that, you know, your suffering, yes, it was tied in with my mother's suffering, but if she'd have been able to do it differently, she would have. She was the perfect person for, for me, uh, for what I needed in my life to develop into who I am and someone who cares a lot about other people. And, you know, coming from your own suffering, there's a saying that I love. And I don't, I can't attribute it because I don't know who it came from, but, um, it says never take riding lessons from someone who hasn't fallen off a horse. Mm. Right. So when I work with people, I have fallen off of many, many horses. So that helps me understand what it feels like when you land. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that gives a depth to my connection with people and my ability to work with them. Um, And anytime I work with someone else, I'm, I'm effective in my own healing. Mm -hmm. I can't work with other people and share what I know and be a part of their healing without something else in me being healed. So I always tell people, thank you for coming here and and helping me heal myself as a part of healing you. So you you know, I I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. And and what's so great about this is, I mean, here, it's just, you're such a, you're such a wonderful example of someone who uh, you had these traumas, you had, you had, significant um, life crises that absolutely opened, they were painful, but they opened your mind up to thinking, what's the, what's the reason for it? What's the benefit? And that, I know that sounds so crazy when you're full blown in crisis mode, but what could possibly be the benefit? And I can't help but think, you know, because I, I, 
I have a lot of people who come on the show. Could you only imagine what what it would be like if we all we're so afraid to experience these hard times, but if everybody who's experienced a crisis got the lesson they were meant to learn from it and use that to serve and use that to help other people. I'm a believer and that's why we're here. And everybody has a unique crisis or situation or obstacle that that is presented to them. And what do they do with it? It's when you stay the victim. It's when you just, you know, you, you just stay in that survival because of it and you don't heal that we just prevent ourselves from sharing these gifts with other people. I mean, look at what you learned and what you've shared with others because of it. I can only imagine if everybody just took that same perspective. Yeah, it would be a different world. We'd stop projecting our pain out on others and our blame out on others. And hell, we might feed the world instead of killing it. (laughs) You're so right. So what do you want to make sure everybody knows before we wrap up? Um, first of all, that there are lots of things that come up in our lives that we, in the beginning, reject. And that's human nature. We reject it. We resist it. We don't want it. It doesn't feel good. But like you have said repeatedly throughout the show, if life is always lived in a comfort zone, if you don't get out and play in the playing field and get knocked around a little bit, I honestly believe you are only one-fourth alive and you're one-tenth of your potential. You have to take those challenges. You have, to, you have to go to your knees. You have to, you know, feel your heart being broken and ripped out. You have to be open to having the experience of being fully human in order to be fully human. And there's just no choice about that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Just living life to its fullest requires risk. Yeah. And I think it's it's just an important point that you bring up and, and really a reminder that we, we do. We do all we can to avoid or prevent these challenges from coming our way, but we truly open up and, and wake up and learn so much and become so much when we take these these opportunities that are presented to us. That's just, I mean, that's, that's why we're here. So how do we learn more about you? Where do we go? Um, You can go to my website, which is yogalola.com. And that's Y-O-G-A-L-O-L-A.com. And that's my um, life coaching, yoga, and other services um, website. And I wrote a book recently. It's called Fighting for Tits, A Woman's Battle Cry. And it's a book designed and written for women to be preemptive about their health and breast care. I'm a research rat, so it's heavily researched, but there's lots and lots of information in there about how to care for yourself and care for your body in a way that will help you or might help you prevent breast cancer, which is what we want to do. We don't want to get it and then backpedal. We want to keep it from happening ever. Um, and so my, the name of the book is Fighting for Our Tits, and you can find information about it out on my writer's website, which is lolascarbro.com. And um, yeah, you can reach me by email at lola at yogalola.com. 
Okay, wonderful. Lola, I want to thank you so much because I know everybody listening, um, maybe they're saying, what the heck did I go through this for? But now you've given them uh, just, I, I think, a, a different lens to say, okay, well, you know what? I'm not saying that healing is easy, but it will just keep moving forward, even if you don't know where you're headed, but commit to the healing because it always leads to meaning and purpose and the reason why we're here. So I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Yes. And thank you, Debbie. And, and for the listeners listening in, I really appreciate it. I love how Lola navigated through her trauma to find the right combination of strategies to help her heal. Spirituality was a big piece of that, and I can't recommend it enough. The need to reconnect or connect with something bigger to find meaning and purpose in our situation takes us right from victim to warrior. It helped me, my clients, I saw it in my study, and I hope it helps you too. Stay in touch with Lola by going to yogalola.com, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at PBT institute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. While you have every right to hang on to your story because of how wrong, painful, or unjust someone else's actions were, it doesn't help you heal. When you refuse to let go of the story, you're refusing to heal, and you're also giving that person power over you that they don't deserve. Of course, we need to grieve the loss, but when we need to start the healing process, it's time to get it started. Even if it's unclear, committing to moving forward every day is a great first step. You deserve to feel better, so no more staying stuck. Now let me give you a gift. Head over to pbtinstitute.com to receive my gift to you. How your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.